Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh and welcome to episode number 59 and today's episode is the replay of webinar number two with Shireen from Slash Gear where we talked about the history of burkini and the struggles as well as the importance of swimming in modest clothes for Muslim women and women of faith. If you are not part of the Facebook community group yet, Purposeful Fitness with Coach Ola, I invite you to join us where we are helping each other stay active, move forward, and help each other stay accountable. If you have any questions, feel free to email me at befitforakhira at gmail.com and follow on social media at befitforakhira. Hope you enjoy this show and I look forward to seeing you on the other side. Welcome to the Purposeful Fitness with Coach Ola, where I dive in deeper into holistic health and fitness topics that will help you stay inspired, motivated, and dedicated to living a purposeful fit life while pursuing for the Akhirah. So we started the recording. We want to welcome everyone to our second webinar. That's part of the Swim for Akhira campaign. Thank you so much for everyone that has that's attending right now. And we are currently going to make Gina our host again, so she can admit people, inshallah. And we are ready to start. All right. Sweet. So our webinar for today is the history of burkini and modest for uh, Muslim women and women of other faith presented to you by Shireen and Ola. Um, my name is Ola and I'm the CEO of Bifit for Akhira. Um, sorry. I am also the podcast host of Purposeful Fitness with Coach Ola. I am a certified personal trainer and uh, student instructor, basic level. I started Bifit for Akhira with the vision to have a stronger, more confident and hopeful ummah. Our guest for today is Shireen Seb- Sabit. Can I say it correctly? Sabit. She is the CEO of the Splash Gear Swimmer. So in 1970, she was born in Egypt, and then she became a certified uh, scuba diver, practiced Islam, and then adopted hijab, got her PhD in immunology from UCLA, mashallah, and then she established Splash Gear, one of the leading brands in a modest swimwear. And then she got featured in groundbreaking contemporary Muslim fashions museum exhibition. And so our objectives for today's webinar is to talk about the history of full coverage swimwear, the challenges within the Muslim community around clothing for swimming and water activities, product information, manufacturing process, and any questions at the very end. So the history of full coverage, I will start off, but I'm going to give it to our guest, um, Shireen. So would you please share with us the history of swimwear from your experience? Uh, Yeah. So what happened was, um, as you showed on the previous slide, I wasn't always a hijabi. I wasn't always a practicing Muslim to begin with. Um, And through my life, I became practicing Muslim, um, praying Salah, you know, fasting, et cetera, et cetera. And then um, shortly after that is when I decided to wear the hijab. Um, And it's not it's not an easy decision. I think if you're in a Muslim majority country, it's probably a lot easier it's more familiar, et cetera, et cetera. But in this kind of society, especially with hostility, animosity, et cetera, uh, misunderstanding, it's, it, it, you know, there's a, a big struggle when it comes to people choosing to wear the hijab. 
So I went through that myself, uh, but I did accept it. I adopted hijab, but I had become a certified scuba long before that point. And so when I adopted the hijab, I thought, oh my God, how am I going to continue with scuba diving? Uh, I love scuba diving. I love the marine environment. I love, you know, being underwater and, and how, you know, well, wait a minute, how am I going to do other kinds of water activities, go snorkeling on vacation with my husband, et cetera, et cetera. So it's, it, I started realizing um, this problem that existed, but you don't realize it until it happens to you, right? There are a lot of things in this world that are going on, but you don't know, you're not aware of them until it happens to you. So it just opened my mind to this, um, this uh, reality, because it wasn't just me, it was a whole bunch of other women all around the world, not just in the US, all around the world, and not just Muslim women. Uh, what about Orthodox Jewish women? What about conservative Christian women? What about large-sized women? Uh, all of a sudden, I just realized that there was a, a universe full of women that didn't participate in water recreation because um, there, there weren't enough options in the marketplace. So I actually wanted to just put something together, homemade outfits, uh, go to the store, find what works, what doesn't work. Uh, but when I, when I went to a woman's house, because she wanted me to consult her and, and tell her what to, to find and, and purchase and wear, her husband is the one that said, uh, you should make this. You should have your own brand. And I said, what are you talking about? I'm a scientist. I'm not a fashion designer. And he kept encouraging me. And it was that gentleman. If it wasn't for that gentleman, Splash Girl would not exist. Um, but he kept encouraging me. He kept telling me, no, no, you can do it. It's not that hard. Well, first of all, it is hard. And we'll get to that conversation later. But, uh, but he's the one that encouraged me. Uh, and so uh, because of him, uh, I did go ahead and start the Splash Gear brand. And at that time, you know, circa 2005, um, uh, so some people in the audience may be surprised at, at how far his, the, the history goes back now. Um, but in 2005, when I sat down to do my business plan, I wanted to do some research and find out, okay, well, what does exist? Are there any other companies out there? Or am I the very first one? Um, and so I did my research and I discovered that no, back in the year 2000, which was 20 years ago now, the BBC.com did a story on uh, what they called the Sharia swimsuit. And I don't know, I don't know if some of your audience members might, uh, might recognize that term, but 20 years ago in Egypt, somebody came up with a Sharia swimsuit. And the scholars were saying, don't call it Sharia swimsuit. There's no such thing, but that was the nickname that it was given. There, wasn't, there was no brand attached to it. And, uh, and, and so I read the article and it might still be up. So if you do a, a search on Google or, or Bing or Yahoo, you might find that BBC.com article uh, still up there uh, about the Sharia swimsuit. Uh, but then I discovered there's another brand out of Turkey. Uh, so in 2003, a gentleman, uh, a Turkish uh, man, had started a company. He actually wanted to design a modest swimmer for men, but then he realized there was a need for women. And so that company's name is Hashima. So some people may again recognize that name. Um, and so they were like the second company in the entire world that produced a modest full coverage swimwear for women. The problem there, and it got a lot of publicity, um, but this is, you know, especially the younger group, Ola, especially people your generation, your age, uh, you can't appreciate, you cannot appreciate the hostility and the animosity that came out against these types of swimsuits back in because they didn't exist. It literally was a revolution. Um, and so there was a lot of uh, derogatory remarks and a lot of criticism made about Hashima, for example. 
the Sharia swimsuit was more local to Egypt. It didn't really leave the country. Hashema got a, you know, more publicity, uh, more media attention. Uh, and so they got a lot more criticism. Um, now, from the Muslim community's point of view, a lot of women, you know, we, we applauded Hashima, but uh, their style was way off. It looked more like a track suit or a rain suit, and women were like, I'm not wearing that. That does not look cool. <laughs> that does not look good. It, it, so a lot of women, a lot of Muslim women stayed away from Hashima for aesthetic reasons. But um, just from a historic point of view, they were the second in the entire world. So I said, okay, well, you know, I'm going to start my brand slash gear here, and, and I have a different you know, take to it, and we'll talk about the uh, the style and the, the design and the fabrication later later on uh, in the webinar. But I decided, okay, I'm I'm going to continue with my with my company. And then after I launched my company, somebody emailed me a National Geographic article about another company that made full cover swimmer for women for Muslim women, and that was Ahida. And Ahida Ahida Zanetti is an Australian, uh, a Lebanese Australian. And she started her company a year before mine, about 2005, approximately. And she's the one that termed, so she isn't the first one to have created modest full cover swimmer, uh, but she's the one that termed her specific line, the burkini. And it comes from the cross between burqa, because burqa was getting a lot of attention back then, the Afghan women, they're walking around with burqas, and then we invaded their country, and et cetera, et cetera. So she, she did a cross between the word burqa, that was in you know, the media and very common and popular, and uh, bikini. So she took burqa and bikini and combined it and called it burkini. And so that's her registered trademark. And there are two spellings, uh, the one with the K, B-U-R-K-I-N-I, -I, and the one with the Q, B-U-R-Q-I-N-I, -I. but those are registered trademarks of the Ahida brand, of the Ahida company. Um, and, and so she came out, you know, just slightly before Splash Gear. So at the beginning of 2007, there were only four companies in the entire world. Uh, one in Egypt, a no-name brand, one in Australia, one in Turkey, and one in uh, the West, the, the Americas. Um, and so we were the only ones at that time, and we had different styles. And, um, and I thought that was nice that, you know, we kind of covered the whole world. <laughs> um, and, and then the copycats came later. But what happened with the term burkini is that whenever I got interviewed by reporters, because we got a lot of media attention back then. This was like something from the moon. This was like something from Mars that landed on Earth. And, the, and especially in the West, there was just a lot of media attention. And, oh, look at this. And, oh, Muslim women can swim now. And, and there was just this, this inordinate amount of attention paid to Muslim women because we're oppressed, you know, we can't do anything, um, our husbands beat us, and we're deprived. Uh, so it, this was a big deal, to, to, especially to the West, um, and it was a big revolution. Um, and so when we got a lot of media attention, we got interviewed, I would get interviewed by reporters, and, and they started referring to the Splash Gear swimmer as Burkini. I said, no, 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 That's, this is Splash Gear, this is not Burkini brand. And time and again, I would get the response, oh, no, no, that's just a generic term. That's, you know, that's okay. It's just a generic. It's like, no, it's not a generic term. That is somebody else's trademark. But they kept insisting it was generic. And it was really, you know, I would say the fault of the media for taking a, a brand, uh, a brand name, a trademark, and then uh, converting it into a generic um, common term. Uh, and then the, just the Muslim community just started calling every modest full cover swimmer they saw as a burkini. Um, and some people say, well, that's not a big deal. What's the harm in that? Well, the harm in that is that um, 
it's, it's, it's disrespectful. It's, you know, if somebody has come up with a product uh, or a, a, a brand or a trademark, you have to respect that. That's, that's their work. That's their identity. And to steal it and to uh, not give it the same respect we would give other corporations. You know, Coca-Cola is a trademark. Um, BMW is a trademark. Nike is a trademark. I can't go around calling my swimmer Nike. Oh, come get your Nike from here. Come get your Nike from me. No, Nike is its own independent corporation and brand. And it seems like everybody respects that. But when it comes to the Muslim community or when it comes to Muslim women entrepreneurs, somehow we can degrade them and not respect their, um, their uh, trademark property. So, so uh, you know, some people say there's no harm, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but, but we just have to respect other people's and other companies' uh, trademarks and registrations and brands. Uh, but, but that's it in a nutshell as far as the history uh, of splash gear as well as the history of the term burkini and modest full cover swimwear. So, so this is not a product that just, you know, arose back in 2019 with Nike. It's not a product that arose five or 10 years ago. This has been around literally for 20 years now, um, but we've seen different evolutions and we've seen the popularity rise and we've seen the interest in Muslim women rising. And, and so you're seeing more and more companies out there and some have gone out of business um, and then others have popped up. Um, and so now it is part of the mainstream, I wouldn't say part of the mainstream, but it's established, right? Modest full cover swimmer has now been established. It's not a new thing. It's not novel. It's not revolutionary. Uh, now many women have access uh, to, to water activities on their own terms. Um, and so that's kind of where we've come in about 20 years. Thank you so much. And everyone that's watching right now, I'm actually wearing her um, hijab. Swimhood. Yes, swimhood. and it's so exciting when I found out that I bought it from a swim outlet which is why I, mean, I, put a, I put a post about it. And so we will go on to talk about, let's see. And one thing, one thing actually, I missed something on that slide. Yep. Uh, as far as modest swimsuits, you know, Muslim women are not the first ones to come up with it. Actually, if you go back to the history uh, here in the U.S., a lot of Christian, conservative Christian and Mormon community members started their own companies, but they didn't get a lot. Of, they didn't, they barely got any media attention. It wasn't until the Muslims, all the Muslims came up with their own swimsuit. That's when um, the Orthodox Jewish company started up. That's when the Mormon companies got more attention, the conservative Christians. So, so if you look at different communities, again, it's not very new, uh, alhamdulillah, um, but, but just each community developed it on its own for its own reasons, for its own dress code. And, um, and so, so again, the history of Muslim culture goes even back further uh, than just the Muslim contribution. Um, uh, so, so I did want to, I, I just want to make sure I didn't, uh, didn't miss that. Yeah, and that's actually a very good point about the Orthodox Jewish, because I did not know about how like they have to cover up long skirts. And when yes. I asked one of the Instagram followers about it, and she said, yeah, we also have same issues when it comes to renting a pool, all of it, and then what they have to wear. So Absolutely. Now we, yeah, so now we, after we cover the history, we go over the challenges that we face within the Muslim community. So Shireen will talk in depth because she had more experience from her uh, you know, customers, clients, teens. So why don't the Muslim teens want to cover up for swimming? More Muslim men than women know how to swim. Why is that? the resource availability in certain communities, different reasons why Muslim women purchase full cover swimwear and why is swimming critical and why we should encourage within the, our community. So Shireen, why the teens don't want to cover? 
So it's really interesting. Oh, when I start, yeah, when, when I started Splash Gear, I just assumed, um, you know, you think about who is your customer base, who is your demographic, who are you going to market to? And I just assumed, oh, it's going to be the girls, right? Mm -hmm. The girls want to go out, they want to have fun, they want to jump in. And, and so it's going to be the teenagers and the college age students. And what I discovered was really uh, very surprising, um, subhanAllah. It turned out, uh, and it's still this way today, the majority, the vast majority of my customers are moms. You know, we're talking 30 to 45 years old. So that's not the young, you know, girl demographic. This is an, a slightly older crowd in the sense that they, they have children, their moms. Um, uh, and so I started wondering, well, why is that? Part of it could be disposable income, you know, college students, you know, uh, they can't, they complain about their textbook prices, et cetera, et cetera, so they can't afford a lot of other things. So it could be a money issue, financial issue, you know, um, women who are established, they have jobs, they have disposable income, maybe that's one reason. Um, and, and, but, but it turns out when, I, when I've done these um, pop-up retail events uh, locally, families will come up to me and they say, oh yes, my daughter right here, you know, we want a suit for my daughter right here. And you see this preteen, early teen, and she, she just sounds like this. You know, she's, she's not happy. Clearly she's not happy. Um, and, and the, the, you know, the parents are asking, you know, size, color, et cetera, et cetera. And she's just like this and stands back. And I can tell from the body language, she doesn't want this. And I would see this um, time and again, not, not every single girl. There, there's some Muslim teenagers who are hijabis. They're confident. They're comfortable. They're okay. They do what their parents tell them. Uh, they're, they're obedient. And they're like, yeah, okay, I'll, I'll get a suit. But other girls were like, no. No. So, so I would step in and say, well, you know, it doesn't look like she's interested maybe later. And like, no, 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 she needs one now. So, so it, it, it was clear to me that a good percentage of Muslim uh, female teens or, or, and preteens, they were not happy with this idea of wearing full cover swimmer. And then I ran into, in what, at one event, I ran into one of my um, uh, loyal customers. She's a big fan of Splash Gear. Uh, she and her sister, uh, they're adult women. They travel uh, and they each have daughters. Um, and one of them said to me, he goes, you know, I don't know. I don't know why. Here, here's some pictures uh, from our vacation. But I don't know. I try to get my daughters to get their own splash gear suit so they can join us. And they don't. They'd rather sit on the sand. I'm like, yeah, you know, they're teenagers. She goes, I don't understand. They'd rather sit out on the sand in the heat and not participate. And I've got my splash gear on and I'm going in the water and I'm having fun. And I'm trying to get them in, but they don't want to. And they told me, I asked them why. I said, they're too embarrassed. They don't want their friends to see them, you know, dressed up like that in the beach. So it's, it's a, you know, the, when it comes to teens in this society, especially, we have to be sensitive to the peer pressure. We have to be sensitive to the harassment, the bullying, the picking on, right? We're a minority group. We stand out. People already don't like us as it is for other reasons. And then to have this on top of it, um, you know, at that, at that age, um, they probably are afraid of, um, maybe fitting some stereotypes that exist. So, so it turns out from the feedback that I've gotten and from my first had observations, you know, that, that teen and preteen group in the Muslim community, the, the girls, the, the, the young ladies, they're, they're too embarrassed. They just, they'd rather not get in the water. Uh, that's not true for all of them. Uh, but for many of them, they'd rather not part, they'd rather suffer on the side um, because that's just too important to them, how they look in front of their friends or in front in, in, in public. So that's one obstacle uh, to, to try to overcome and, and trying to get, 
are Muslim girls. And, and a lot of these are not hijabi girls. They're, they're not going to walk around in bikinis, but they're not hijabis. So they're in between. Um, so I think part of it is a confidence level. They're just not confident enough in their own, um, perhaps in their own dean, or just they're, they're just not, uh, they're very self-conscious. And, and I think that's one issue that, that we may need to work on as, as a movement and a community is to help them um, become comfortable. And you can't just say, oh, don't worry about other people think that that's not, to be honest, that's not a practical piece of advice. Um, obviously, from a psychological point of view, there are members of our community that this is an issue for, and we just have to help them overcome it or just wait wait until they grow out of it, for example. But that's, that is, um, that's, I, I can answer that question from, from the feedback, the direct feedback, as well as the first-hand observations. One of our guests, uh, viewers said, Khadija said that also the, the design and colors play a role. And I think it's also another important point, which is why yeah. Nikki got on it well, as well. Well, here's, and this is a funny thing when we <laughs> talk about, I guess we'll talk about it a little later on when we talk about fabrication design, but that yeah. is, uh, that is a very good point, Khadija, that you touched upon because when I designed the, the Splash Group Swimmer line, I put a lot of time and thought into it, not just from uh, the Islamic compliant point of view, not from a comfort point of view, but the, the aesthetics. And I wanted it to look like something Western. I wanted it to look like something that was surf inspired. Um, you know, I live in Huntington Beach here, which is referred to Surf City, USA. I'm a scuba diver. So I drew upon surfing and scuba diving uh, for the style and the design. And so my line has actually been, uh, people commented that the line is colorful. It is bright colors. It's Western looking. It's athletic looking. Um, so, so, and I wanted to do that specifically. And the first, the first colorway was actually Hawaiian print. Uh, now it's a sports stripe, the more athletic look. But in the beginning, I had the Hawaiian print colorway because I wanted my Muslim sisters to blend in and to fit in as well and as much as possible and to look as normal as possible while they're out in public at the beach, at the pool. So I do agree that that's a, a concern, but, but that wasn't a concern for Splash Gear specifically. They just didn't want to cover up at all. Uh, we have bright colors. We have ocean blue. You're wearing the purple. Uh, we have purple. We have navy. We have different colors. We had different uh, prints. Um, that wasn't so much the issue, I think, for Splash Gear. I think it, it's just a general overall um, concern of, of they just don't, perhaps in their mind, they, they might look foolish. Um, and, and, but that was a serious concern of theirs. Yeah. And as a follow-up, I agree that she said the YouTube life is real. Yep. It is. Unfortunately in the whole social media. Yeah. Yeah. So I want to hear from you on why more Muslim men than women know how to swim. Yeah. And this is, this is actually an issue, not just in the Muslim community, but worldwide. It, yeah. If you look at, um, uh, the statistics, uh, I think it was a World, World Health Organization that posted that 4 billion people worldwide are estimated to not know how to swim. 4 billion people out of, you know, we're at 7 something billion now. So that's the majority of human beings. And so that includes both men and women. But when you look at the swimmers, the majority of swimmers worldwide are men. Um, so this isn't something specific to the Muslim community, but since we are talking about the Muslim community, if you look at the Muslim community, it's the same reflection. More men swim, more men scuba dive, more men are athletic, more men are, are you know, do water recreation. Um, and that's probably very, excuse me, that's probably due to a very cultural reason, right? Uh, nowhere in Islam, nowhere in, uh, well, let me back up a little bit. When I, when I told you 
when I went over the history of Modest Full Cover Swimmer, and I mentioned that at the time there was a lot of animosity and hostility, it wasn't just from the non-Muslims, it wasn't just from Islamophobes and people from outside the Muslim community. Even within the Muslim community, Muslims were coming out saying, this is haram. There's no such thing as modest swimmer. Men and women are not allowed to swim together. So again, you guys may not hear that language now because it's established, right? We've gotten past that point. But at the beginning, I remember, I remember reading the comments. I remember, um, you know, in, in the newspaper articles, you know, when they got different opinions, they, got, they interviewed different people. The, the, within the Muslim community, there was hostility against it. Um, this is haram. Um, so if there's that attitude, if that attitude existed when full cover swimwear was created for our community, what happened before that, right? So, so if it's haram to swim together, what are the, where are the opportunities for women in the Muslim community to swim? Where are the opportunities for Muslim women to recreate, right? Um, places like Iran, which uh, I've never been to Iran, but this is what I've read, um, so I can't corroborate it, but I've heard of, you know, places like Iran that have Muslim women beaches, right? So they've set aside, and this touches upon resource availability in, in certain communities. There are places, communities within the Muslim world where they set aside, they set aside um, pool hours or gym hours. They, they set aside stretches of beaches. So it's Muslim, you know, it's women only. Men are not allowed to, to enter. So when you have places like that, that, that recognize and give equality to women, say, well, women are just as equal to men. They have the equal right to swim. They have the equal right to participate in sports. They have the equal right to recreate, and they just found ways to do it. Alhamdulillah, God bless them. Jazakum uh, But then you have other communities where it wasn't important. It wasn't a priority. And so the women didn't get those resources. If they didn't get those resources, if they didn't get those facilities, if they didn't get those accommodations, then they didn't get those opportunities. So, so I think very, it's, it's very much a cultural uh, issue. I think it's very much um, a community-based issue when it comes to resources. Do, they, do, do all Muslim communities all over the world have uh, the financial resources to build women's only and men's only facilities? What about public? They go down to the river. They go down to the lake. Well, are you going to start segregating? So, so part of it, I think, is, is there an ability to do that? And part of it, I think, is, is there a will? Is there a priority put on you know, offering equal facilities if you're not going to do co-ed. And the whole point of full covers modest swimmer is really to allow women to be in public in a co-ed situation. If we're doing women only, you don't need all this full coverage. Uh, the whole point of hijab, the whole point of hijab is to allow women to enter the public sphere. If we weren't going to be in the public sphere, if we're going to be home all day, we don't need the hijab. So the whole point of the hijab was to allow women to come out of the home, to go out into the public and participate equally. That was the whole point of hijab. Um, so, and that's the whole point of full cover swimwear. Um, so so if, if, if Muslim communities around the world are, are not going to be providing uh, opportunities or they don't prioritize those opportunities for women, um, th that's where the full cover swimwear comes in. They, 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 can, they, can, they now have... There are a lot of companies around the world now that offer full coverage swimwear for Muslim women. And, and so now they have the ability to, to, to put it on, cover themselves up and, and go anywhere to do what they want to do. Um, so, so I think just historically, uh, that's why more Muslim men uh, have learned how to swim because it's just a lot easier for them uh, than for Muslim women. Yeah, it's a good uh, point. And then um, the whole haram halal thing is, is, is a real thing, but I think we're opening up more to it. Alhamdulillah. Now. 
and then the resource of availability in certain communities that we mentioned, and then the different reasons why Muslim women purchase full coverage swimwear. So it's not just about modesty, but I think it's also about um, confidence that you mentioned. So what have you seen from your experience from your previous clients, why they purchase like long sleeve, I mean, full coverage? Right. So this is another interesting, you know, it's, it's funny. Um, I don't come from apparel manufacturing. I'm not a fashion designer. This, this fell in my lap and I had to learn a lot. It was a steep learning curve. And so one thing, um, you know, as an entrepreneur, as, as a businesswoman, you have, you have certain ideas, you have certain prejudices or predictions, and then it turns out, nope, that wasn't, that wasn't correct at all. It's actually, this is the reality. So as I said earlier, as I mentioned, I thought my demographic was going to be the younger, the younger women. And it turned out, no, it's not. Uh, the other thing that I discovered is um, I just assumed every single Muslim woman wants to swim and is, is waiting for full cover swimmer. And it turns out, no, that's not true. Um, a good percentage of Muslim women don't care for swimming. <laughs> They're not interested. It's not a big deal for them. No, thank you. <laughs> I don't want that. So <laughs> it kind of surprised me initially, but I'm like, yeah. So then I discovered that we have a spectrum. We have a spectrum of women in our community. And I've met these women. These women have provided me with feedback. And so I'm, I'm just presenting that to your audience. At one end of the spectrum, we've got the women who are like, I don't know how to swim and I don't want to learn how to swim. I'm not interested in swimming. I'm not interested in water recreation. I don't want this product. Okay, that's fine. Then I've had customers tell me, um, I, I don't want to swim. That It's not about me swimming. It's just that when I go to the pool with my kids, uh, like for example, their apartment complex has a pool or, or public pool, public facility. When I go to the pool for my kids, you know, I don't want to sit in my abaya on the lounge chair and then all these women are in their bikinis and I just stand out again, the peer pressure, right? Again, feeling out of place. Right. Um, and so these moms wanted to buy um, a swim full cover swimmer, not for themselves to get in the water, but so they can just fit into the crowd better. They had some clothing, some garments that just fit the scene better instead of wearing their long black abayas. Uh, under the hot sun at the swimming pool and getting stared at. So those women would purchase the, 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 uh, the swimwear just for that reason. Then I have other women who've told me that they've purchased the swimwear, again, not for their own recreational needs, but they want to be able to be ready to jump into the pool if their child or somebody else is in trouble. Uh, they want to be able to, they don't want to be like all dressed up again in their abayas or their other garments. They want to be ready uh, at a quick moment's notice to jump in and save a life. Uh, so that's why they purchased uh, the swimmer. And then I've had uh, at this end of the spectrum, um, a women and, and, and young ladies who purchase it because they wanted to go out, they wanted to swim, they wanted to do laps, uh, fitness related, they want to go on their honeymoon, they're, they're getting married, they're going to go on their honeymoon to an exotic paradise place, and, and they want to uh, go swimming, snorkeling. Uh, so there are Muslim women who are very active, but they're not, I wouldn't say they're the majority in the community. Um, but, but they do exist, and they're the ones that want to purchase the swimmer, to use it on a regular basis, to use it to go to the water park with their kids, to go on family vacations. Um, so I, I basically, you know, had the gamut, uh, people purchasing it for different reasons, and, and we should recognize that, yes, Muslim women, uh, we, we, we are a spectrum uh, when it comes to this topic, just as with any other topic. Uh, in your experience, have you had any interest from competitive swimmers? 
And it doesn't mean that you look forward in the future as well. You know, I, in the very beginning, I've all, I have always wanted to sponsor a, a team, a swim team or a, a professional uh, athlete swimmer, but they just didn't exist. You know, going back <laughs> 15 years ago, I would look for them. They just didn't exist. There was one school in, um, in Michigan, in, in Detroit, Michigan. I forget the name of the school, but it was a middle school. They did purchase Splash Gear Swimmer for their swim team, for four of their uh, uh, Muslim hijabi swimmers. Um, but but I've I've always wanted to sponsor uh, female um, athletes uh, for swimming or any other sport. But they, they you know I, it seems like they they exist now. But uh, but going back 15, 20 years, we just apparently didn't have them. Well, we have. So one. this is an advertisement. If if you if you like a sponsor, come talk to to Slash Gear. Yeah, we have one in our audience. <laughs> Khadija is actually a triathlete, and she's Khadija Diggs. Yes. Yes. So yes. She, Hi, she's Khadija. A, <laughs> she's a new ass. Um, but that's actually really interesting because when I work with the local assigning school here in my house, they purchase all their stuff from Swim Outlet. And then mm-hmm. I know Asia Sport, uh, another like leading brand that's you know they have swim hijabs. Mm-hmm. Um, they do a lot of like sponsorship as well. And I think he's also one of their sponsors, like one of their athletes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So inshallah, I think now that you're like, well, a- Asia sport was it? that's so a lot of these brands came later. And I think the timing, timing is very important. Yeah. Um, you, you know, when I was talking to you all that, you're like, I've never heard of Ahida and Burkini. I've never heard of, you know, it just seems like yeah. really we're not, you know, it's only been 15 years, 20 years, but it surprises me how many people don't know those pioneers anymore. Exactly. Cause there've been other brands that have come up the, the popularity, I think um, on the one hand, what, what I think is interesting. I, th- I think that, um, you know, sales were very strong in the beginning because this product just didn't exist. I, I qu- now that those women have these products, um, and, and Splash Gear Swimmer lasts a long time, so they don't have to buy it every year or every couple of years. But but I just wonder, I, I'm curious to know what the demand is at this point compared to the beginning. But I, I've noticed there are a lot more brands out there, uh, or a lot more you know, like no-name brands as well as other brands. So I think timing is an issue. Social media is an issue. I have to admit, I've been bad with social media. So people probably have never heard of Splash Gear because I've, I've just been really bad with social media content. Um, uh, I, I kind of missed the boat. Uh, Splash Gear and other brands, Hashima, we, we started when um, there, was no self, there was no smartphone. The smartphone didn't even exist at the time. Uh, Facebook was only desktop. You know, there was no Instagram. Um, so, so I think um, when you cross social social media with the timing of all these other brands that have used social media really well, that's when these other brands have come up. That's when um, Muslimas sharing their public, you know, sharing the life publicly, um, going out doing triathlons or competitive swim or whatever or vacation. I think that convergence really helped the newer brands, whereas us older brands kind of got left behind and forgotten um, uh, by, by current uh, folks. So, so Swim Outlet sells a lot of swimmer that, uh, it has a modest category, modest swimmer category, the, the Splash Gear pioneered, but there are now only three brands there. Everything else is just mainstream, right? I mean, swim leggings have been around forever. Um, long sleeve rash guards have been around forever. Uh, those are not considered, you know, those are not necessarily modest swimwear. Those have been around forever for other for other uses, for other purposes. Uh, so yeah, so now that more people, uh, uh, more Muslims are getting into the outdoor stuff, 
uh, and they're exploring more. Um, I, I actually had to tell some customers, well, here's Swim Outlet. You can buy, you know, um, children's stuff here or, you know, they, they had no clue. What is this? You know, uh, they had, they, this was all new to them. REI was all new to them. So I think now more and more Muslims who are doing outdoor activities, they're familiar with these uh, sources, right? I used to buy stuff at REI before. I used to buy stuff at um, mainstream stores before. Um, uh, splash gear was established or anything else. Uh, but now I think more Muslims are being more active. So, so those Muslims specifically are, are going out and seeking resources that have been around for a long time uh, and purchasing, like you said, from Swim Outlet. Yes. And we will talk about how you inspire Swim Outlet and your experience with big brands that are on it now. Yeah. So yeah, we will get on that. Oh, oops. Oh my gosh. Product information. So please show us the design fabrication and the features to look for when shopping for full coverage. Sure. And so I, I kind of um, touched upon it earlier, but I, I wanted to wait till we got to the section. Uh, when I sat down to design Splash Gear, uh, the Splash Gear line, um, this was very, very serious and heavy on my mind because, again, I, I knew that because this was new to the Muslim community, there were going to be people who might be critical. They're going to judge it very severely. Um, and so I wanted to make sure this was Islamically compliant. It was going to abide by the consensus fatwas on what modest dresses. And, and I don't know how many individuals in the audience are Muslim or not Muslim, but there's a, a modest dress code for men. Uh, there's, a, there's a myth that, oh, Muslim men can wear whatever they want. That's not true. We <laughs> never that started that myth. Uh, somebody outside <laughs> of the for the myth. And so Muslim men have a modest dress code. Mm -hmm. Muslim women have a modest dress code. So I want to take a minute, just in case there are members of your audience who are not aware of this. Um, in Islam, just as in Judaism, and, and just as in conservative Christianity, in Islam, when a boy or a girl reaches puberty and they begin to sexually develop, they must cover up their sexuality in front of unrelated members of the opposite sex. There's nothing, you know, earth shattering about that, actually. It's been around for a long time uh, and, and among different cultures. But, um, but when a boy or girl reaches puberty, they have to cover up. Now, a man's sexuality is not the same as a woman's sexuality. And so the dress code is going to be different. Uh, for a man, uh, he has to cover from his navel to his knee at all times. The more conservative a Muslim man is, he ends up covering his entire body, including his hair, his head. So, so you can tell uh, what a, a very, very conservative Muslim man looks like when, when, I, when I give this presentation about um, Islam and, and women in Islam and hijab uh, at the college classes at the university as a guest lecturer, I kind of tell them, uh, the more conservative Muslim man is, he looks just like a Muslim woman. He's covered from head to, 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 to ankle, um, long sleeves and neck and all. So the minimum, the absolute minimum for a man is navel to the knee at all times, but the more conservative they are, they tend to cover their whole body. For a Muslim, for a woman, her sexuality is her entire body, except her face, hands, and feet, okay? Um, for both sexes, the, the clothing cannot be skin tight, it cannot be transparent, it cannot be revealing. Um, uh, so, so those are the dress codes. And so I used that guide to design this Flash Gear Swimmer line. And I knew that I better not mess it up because I could have, you know, fatwas against, you know, Splash Gear or fatwas against full cover swimwear. And we didn't want that. So, so I, 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 very, I stayed with the guidelines very closely using fabrics 
uh, and using design. So, so if you look at the Splash Gear Swimmer line, there are two types of fabrics that we use. I couldn't use one. I couldn't just use one for the whole outfit or the whole swimsuit because uh, either it'd be too boxy and anesthetic or it'd be too drapey and it'll stick to you. So for the bottoms, for the swim pants, I ended up using the same fabric that's used for men's board shorts. So for those in the audience that are familiar with surfers and the board shorts that you see at the surf shops or even at Target these days, because now that it's become so popular, there's a, a fabric, it's polyester, it's, it's microfiber uh, polyester. Um, and uh, that's the fabric I use for the bottoms because um, it, 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 it gives it a nice kind of, uh, you know, shape to it that doesn't uh, stick or drape. And then I put in the hem some stiffening fabric, a stiffener, uh, that keeps it open when you come out of the water. So, so again, preventing the sticking, you know, a grabbing to sucking to your legs and, and being immodest. So there are these design features coupled with the fabric, the specific fabric. Now for the shirt, you can't use that kind of woven fabric for the shirts. It becomes boxy and unesthetic. So you have to use a knit fabric that drapes. Um, and so we use the, the polyester PBT fabric for the shirts and the hair covers. There's some mechanical stretch to it, um, but, but it's the cut, the design, it's cut that it's loose enough. And when you come out of the water, you just you know, tug on it, you just pull it out and it'll unstick very quickly. Uh, the fabrics are very quick drying and, and uh, the shirts are actually lined in the front panel for extra modesty in the chest area. So, so I wanted to make sure that it, what, it didn't stick to the person outside of the pool or in the pool outside the water, in the water. Uh, it, it wasn't see-through, it wasn't revealing. Uh, and so the colors, when it comes to the colors, uh, you, you learn quickly that certain colors are transparent, especially when wet. So I had to stick to certain colors and certain prints and I had to forego others so they it wouldn't be transparent when it got wet. So we have purple and lavender, we have um, a royal blue and aqua, we have navy, we have uh, black and gray. Um, so we do have a colorful line, but you have to be careful uh, which colors and which prints to use so that they don't become see-through. And I, I, I think one company actually went out of business because of, um, I suspect because they ended up, they, they, it was designed by a non-Muslim person. And I don't think that person thought through the, um, the requirements for, for the, the Islamic dress code. And um, in the media, there were, there, were, there were comments of, oh, it's see-through when that person comes out, we can see her bikini underneath. And, and so I think, I think that might've been a reason for why one brand went out of business. Um, and so you have to be very careful that, that you don't provide, you don't, you don't sell a product that backfires on the customer uh, and doesn't uh, deliver what it promises. So, so in designing, the splash gear line, you know, there are certain fabrics that I use, uh, quick drying, chlorine proof fabrics um, that didn't stick, uh, making sure that they weren't see-through and just, just abiding by the dress code in general. That's a really good point. And like, I love your hijab, seriously. It's like so amazing in the water. And then um, the, the men <laughs> thing is such an interesting topic because when I shared about it inside uh, one of the swimming groups on Facebook, when he came out, like, you know, I was complaining, all that stuff. Then some men, like, understood my pain, like, my emotional frustrations about Nike. And they're like, well, like, if we're going to talk about this modesty thing, then, like, let's talk about men. Men wearing in Speedo. And, like, I love right. how men are getting my point, but not the yeah. women. <laughs> like, from our communities. <laughs> like, okay, well, anyways, we'll get into it in a, in a bit. But 
like the he's like he it was a christian man he was like if we're gonna talk about it like in christianity like a man should not be wearing a speedo exactly and then like i am working right now with this guy and like i'm amazed at how modest he is i'm like mashallah but why can't a muslim man be modest anyways thank you for like pointing that out because i know like it's a big topic and the, the thing's like yeah like (laughs) <laughs> well, it's interesting you say that. So I, so, well, the Muslim, the, you know, when you look at the Muslim community, we are very diverse. And I think we Muslims forget just how diverse we really are. <laughs> so when you say that, you, you know, why can't Muslim men be modest? That's interesting to me because I've actually had Muslim men come up to me at different points in time saying, why don't you design a modest swimwear for men? We need it too. I said, yeah, I know, but we women kind of desperately need it more than you are. I'll work on the men's <laughs> line later. But, and one of them was a college student, a young Muslim man from a college, from, you know, college age. Uh-huh. And he said, yeah, yeah. You know, and then for the shirts, you can design like the, the sleeveless, like the tank, the muscle, and you can design. I'm like, I look at him like, well, why do I need to design shirts for Muslim men? You guys don't need shirts. And he looks at me and goes, well, what do you mean? I'm like, well, y- the dress code, you guys don't need shirts. And he goes, no, no, no. And he starts, he looks embarrassed and he like covers himself with his arms. He's like, no, no, no. He, he couldn't think, he could not imagine going out shirtless. So there are Muslim men in the community who are very modest and they don't, you know, they don't just want long shorts. They want shirts to go swimming in. And I'm like, well, you don't need shirts. You don't, that, that part of you doesn't need to be covered, but, but they're very shy. You'd be surprised how yeah, there, there are, are men. some Muslim men. There are Muslim men who are shy and they, they do want to cover up. And he was a young man. He was younger than me. And he's like, no, 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 I'm, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna, I'm, no, 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 no. And he starts giggling and he's like, so, so it's, it's interesting. You're right. There are Muslim men who are not modest, uh, but that's true for everybody in the community. And there are other Muslim men who are very modest and they don't, they want to cover up all the time. And yeah, that's why we're having the webinar with uh, Abby Fish talk about the whole mental health aspect within the swim suit problem issue, yes, because it's like a sure. man issue. You know, they, like there are men regardless of what faith you are mm-hmm. yes. that have insecurities in body image so like they tend That's to cover true. up and i've seen men struggling and swimming their strokes are completely wrong and like why can't they be represented and that was my entire issue point yeah. with nike it's like thank you nike but at the same time like let's get yeah. real and talk about the right. real issues but I think that's part of the stereotype, right? That Muslim women are oppressed. Yeah. Deprived. It's, the Muslim men don't, you know, yeah. don't need a salute. It's like, well, no, it, you're not here to save us. Um, we, we, we've done that ourselves. Thank you very much. But, but yeah, I think the men, the men do get, and I, it's not that I've neglected the men. It's just, I, I haven't been able to get around to, to finally to getting yeah. up. Yeah. There's just too much to do. And there's just really more of a need with the women than with, with the men. But you're right. There is a need for uh, modest women for, for men in, in our community as well. Absolutely. Thank you. Okay, so we're moving on to talk about. Let's see. Uh, many- the features actually. Oh. Did you want? Do you want me to go over features real quick? Yes, I thought you. As far as yes, you- please. So, so if somebody is looking, if you're going to go shopping for modest full cover swimwear, um, there are certain things that you might want to look for because not not all the modest full coverage swimsuits out there are the same, um, and so some of the things you might want to look for is, for example, chlorine proof uh, fabric. Uh, 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 about 20 years ago or so, they started switching over. The, uh, the, it used to be just regular nylon spandex fabric, but as some people know, nylon spandex doesn't last. So that's why people have to buy a new swimsuit every year, a new bikini every year. Nylon spandex is very susceptible to chlorine, to sun damage, et cetera, et cetera. And we started out using nylon spandex for our shirts and hair covers, and I started getting some complaints about it degrading quickly. So we switched over very quickly to polyester PBT. So when you're looking for full cover swimmer, try to find chlorine proof fabric. There is chlorine resistant, but it's just gonna, it just, 
lasts a little bit longer, but it will eventually fade. But polyester PBT or 100% polyester will never fade. It's, it's, it's guaranteed chlorine proof. The other thing you want to look for is uh, UV protection. Um, some of the fabrics out there have zinc, um, I think it's zinc oxide and titanium oxide put into them. It's a coating, but, but that will eventually wear off. When it comes to UV protection, there are two basic rules. Um, the color of the fabric, the darker the color, the more protection it provides from UV rays, and also the uh, tightness of the weave, the fabric. If, if the fabric is loose knit, okay, it's, it's lower protection. If the fabric is tight knit, it's gonna block UV rays better. So, so you can buy fabrics that have um, coatings in them, you know, sun, sun protective coatings in them, but they will wear out eventually. Uh, so just make sure that you're looking for the darker the fabric and the tighter the weave of the fabric. Um, for example, denim, which is not swimmer fabric, but denim is going to provide you with excellent UV protection versus chiffon, right? Uh, and so it's the same thing when it comes to swimwear fabrics. So you want darker colors and tighter weaves uh, for UV protection. And then there are certain features you look for. Um, it's nice to have a pocket, for example, to put your key in, uh, in you know, whether it's in the shirt or, or in the bottoms. But make sure that the pocket uh, drains. It's, it's either made of mesh fabric, like the splash gear one, or it has a hole, a grommet in it, so that uh, it drains the water. You don't want to be carrying water with you and weighing you down. So when you get out of the water, you want to be able to have the water drain from you. And so having a pocket that either has a grommet hole you know, like this, or made of mesh fabric to drain the water easily. So those are some of the, the, um, the features that I would recommend for people shopping for modest swimwear. It's very true, especially with the darker color, because the chlorine will kill the, like chlorine automatically will like fade the color away. So the darker, the better, long lasting, and the see-through issues that we have to go. Yeah, and uh, it's not just the color, it's, it's the type, so the, 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 what you're wearing, the swim hood that you're wearing, Ola, uh, it's purple, but mm -hmm. because it's made of polyester PBT, it will never fade in chlorine. That's going to last you a lifetime, inshallah. Yeah, um, I can tell. Like it's, it is such a mashallah, strong. <laughs> uh, so then, yes, the manufacturing process. Um, can we go over like a little bit briefly about the whole product development, sourcing material? Because we're getting close to an hour. So share yeah. us like the process that you have to go through to create this product. Yeah, this is, um, so when the gentleman in the beginning encouraged me to, you know, do my brand and set up my own brand and, and, and manufacture myself, and, and I'm like, and he said it was easy. That's not true. Uh, maybe it's easy for people who went to school for this, or maybe it's people, you know, it's easy for people who, who are already in the industry. But for me, I was coming from outside. And uh, like I said earlier, it, it was a huge learning curve for me. Um, <clears throat> I did find, I, I, you know, a lot of these factories are not online. And so you, you kind of have to, you, ha you have to be able to go to this, to where it's at, basically, where the industry is at. I was lucky enough, though, I did find somebody online who was um, not local. She was not local. She's out of the area, but I, I, she, she had her website up. I contacted her. Uh, she says, well, I don't do this particular thing, but I have a friend. So she, she referred me to um, a colleague of hers. And that's a, that was my first contact. That was my first entrance into apparel manufacturing. And since then, I've learned a lot. And I'm going to try to boil it down in, in a couple of minutes for your audience. It comes down to, um, first, you have to start with a design. You, you, you want to develop a product. So you have this idea in your head. You need to get it out on paper. You need to, to do what, the, what are called line drawings. Um, and, and then you want to take that idea of yours that was in your head, 
that was on paper and you want to make a sample. So first, if you, if you don't know anything about sewing and if you don't know anything about pattern making, you have to find a pattern maker. Uh, go to that pattern maker and, and the advice is, well, go find something in the marketplace that's similar, bring it to me, and then we'll talk about changing it to your design. You give them a picture, you, you show them a picture of what you like or what you want, and then the pattern maker will design a pattern for that garment. If you know how to do that, great, more power to you. I didn't know how to do that, so I have a pattern maker. Splashker has its own pattern maker that it, uh, that it contracts with uh, to design or to redesign its, its garments. Then after you have a pattern, you now need to make a sample. And again, pattern makers are not necessarily sample makers. You might have to go find a sample maker or if you can sew it yourself, great. Uh, but a sample maker will create that prototype for you. And it's not cheap. It can cost between 50 to $100 just to make one garment. Um, once you make that garment, you can tweak it, make another sample, do whatever changes you need to make before you go to production. And when you get to production, you have a choice. You can, excuse me, you can either find someone who is a production manager, um, a production coordinator. This person, and it's, it's a good idea if, if, if you're totally new to the industry, it's, it's a good idea to have one, but there are pluses and minuses. Um, but if you can find a production coordinator, that person will source all of your materials, they'll find the contractor, they'll find the cutter, they'll get everything done, they'll send it to the factory, they oversee the production, make sure there are no mistakes, and they'll deliver. But you're gonna pay for that, because that's their time, that's their labor, that's their job, so you're paying for that. Um, now, and I, that's how I started off. I started off with a production coordinator. But after gaining experience, I was able to find my own factories directly. I was able to source my materials directly. Um, but then there's pluses and minuses to that because it's a lot more work, right? So you're saving money, but it's a lot more work. So you have to go to the factory. Um, factories don't provide you anything except the thread. The thread in their sewing machines, that's what they provide you. You have to provide everything to them. You have to provide all the cut panels. You have to provide the trim. You have to provide the uh, size care labels, the inventory labels. You have to provide the packaging. You have to provide everything that that factory is going to need to assemble your product. Um, so you're doing all the legwork. You're running around sourcing the materials, making sure it got cut. Some factories will do cut and sew and package. Other factories say, well, we don't cut. We just sew and package. So every factory does things differently. Every contractor does things differently. Payment terms are different. Um, and so when I started my very first production ever, I was, uh, if I remember correctly, it was thirty-five or $38,000 out of my pocket. And that was a small run. That was a relatively small run. So you have to put up tens of thousands of dollars just to get your, your manufacturing. And, and everything, Splash Gear's production is done here in the United States. It's actually done all in California. Uh, we, don't, we don't outsource to um, China or any other country. So, so, so on the other hand, I'm paying a premium, right? Uh, because we, we care for our workers. We have labor laws that we stick to. They get paid um, uh, well and, and they're protected by labor laws. So, so, so first of all, production prices are higher, but it's all out of pocket. And then you turn around and have to sell it at a profit, right? Um, so those are kind of the steps one has to take if you're starting out, if you have a design of your own and, and you want to make it a reality. And so the best places to find these contractors will be the industry trade shows. So for example, MAGIC, uh, M-A-G-I-C, all capital letters, they have annual um, shows in the winter and the summer in Las Vegas. And if you go to the, the one of their 
segments is sourcing. So if you go to sourcing at the magic show in Las Vegas, you'll meet all these different contractors, fabric suppliers, um, trim suppliers, um, et cetera, et cetera. Um, locally, we have the California Market Center, the CMC in downtown LA. That's our fashion district. Uh, and so they'll have annual shows where you can go and again, uh, find those sources, find fabric sourcers, uh, 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 find fabric suppliers, find contractors, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so, you know, and if anybody has specific questions, feel free to contact me directly and I'd be happy to guide you. Um, the California Apparel newspaper is a great resource and they have in the classified sections, um, they list different companies and they'll do features on different segments of the industry and provide references. So the California Apparel News is a great resource to start with as well as industry trade shows. And so what is, are the marketing challenges besides social media? Um, excellent. <laughs> um, well, so here's the thing, because I started out as not, and I have no business background whatsoever, um, I had no idea. Nobody ever told me in the beginning that you, you, you really have to have just as much money. And I'm not exaggerating when mm -hmm. I say this. Uh, as, as Allah is my witness, I'm not exaggerating. You need a marketing budget that's just as much as your production, if not more. Um, and I, I didn't realize that, and I, and I realized it too late. So if you're going to start up a company, you better have as much, you better be, for every dollar you're putting in production, you need to be saving a dollar for marketing campaigns. Back then, before social media, before the, you know, um, digital marketing, uh, there were not that many small businesses at the time. Pre-digital, there really weren't that many small businesses. It's the internet really exploded the number of entrepreneurs. It exploded the number of small businesses because of the ease and convenience. But what happened is now um, those, those, those traditional advertising um, avenues, newspaper, magazine, where you, you know you could reach your audience, you know what, what magazine or newspaper or, or literature your audience is reading, you could advertise in there. That's, that's going out if not gone out already. Uh, broadcast TV, they say, you know, advertising there is going out. So, so the traditional platforms for advertising are gone or going out because everything's digital. Well, then when social media started, everybody's saying it's free, free, free. Come on, businesses. Come on, small businesses. You can post, post, post. You can advertise for free. I missed the boat on that because I was working full time <laughs> and as a professor, and I just didn't have time for business. And I thought, well, you know, people are going to just find me via Google like they always have. And things changed on Google. Their algorithms changed, and I didn't keep up with that. It became more complex. It used to be really simple in the beginning, and then it became more and more and more complicated. And then with social media, it was, you know, free posts for a long time. Now the posts don't work. What they tell you now is, you know, posts don't even work. You have to pay for advertising now. So we're, we're kind of back to where we started in the sense that you have to pay for advertising because that's how it used to be. So even through Facebook, even through Instagram, the effective way to get an audience, you must pay money. You must advertise now. That's what everybody's saying. It's the, the, just the natural organic posts just aren't, aren't doing it anymore. Not like they used to. So, um, so it's very challenging because you don't know how to reach your, where is your audience? Where is my audience? How do you know where your audience is? How do you reach them? And platforms like Netflix, subscriber, subscription-based platforms like Netflix, like um, uh, Prime, Amazon Prime, Hulu, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, they're advertiser free. That's the reason why they're subscription-based, right? You pay, you're paying 
not to, to cease uh, advertising. So advertisers are completely locked out of those platforms. So it has become challenging because um, it is, it is, financially challenging. You have to have a lot of money, just like it used to be back in the day. Only the big companies could advertise, right? Not the small companies. Um, internet promised a more level playing field and it just hasn't turned out that way. You still need a lot of money now at this point to do marketing. And, and there are just so many different channels that you have to keep up with. It, it's just not like how it used to be uh, 20, 30, 40 years ago. It's very, and, and I, you know, I attend seminars, I attend business seminars uh, and, and you have these experts, marketing experts who come out and they keep painting a bleak picture because it's, it's very tough for small businesses. The big businesses, they've got the financial resources. They've got the money uh, to do all the big advertising, the cool, slick advertising. Um, but, but it's the small businesses are really suffering. It's, it's very difficult to be able to reach your, your target audience. You have to be on top of the social media, like on a daily basis. Which creates mental health struggles. Yep. <laughs> I'm a small business owner, so I understand that feeling. Yeah. Uh, we're going to go over, because again, we're a little bit over time. Perfect. Well, we actually didn't get to talk about your experience about reaching out to Nike Speedo back in the den. I want to hear that your perspectives. Um, would you please share how you got you know, into some outlet, how you got, what you had to go through? back in the past if you don't mind. uh i so i never contacted nike but i did mm -hmm. so before i started splashy before i started Splashgate, before that was even a, a concept in my mind i reached out so so i became you know i told you i became a scuba diver and then i became a hijabi it was after i became a hijabi i'm like well let me reach out to some of the established mainstream companies and see if uh you know they're willing to make uh swimwear for muslim women one of them was tear i did not contact speed or nike one of them was tear and then the other one, I can't remember, was Title IX or Athleta, um, because I was getting their catalog uh, and, and, uh, at the time. And Tier didn't even bother to respond. So maybe they didn't um, get my email. I don't know. But they didn't even bother to respond. And, and uh, the other company politely declined. And, uh, and I was really surprised, actually, why they did that, because they're all about you know, feminism and, and women empowerment. But now looking back, I, I kind of understand they were the opposite type of a feminism from, from the Muslim community. So they probably didn't want to get into um, trying to cater to our needs. Um, so so, that, was, so that was disheartening. That's when I decided, OK, I'll just shop for myself. And that's when the gentleman finally said, you, you should do your own brand. So, so I, you know, there was rejection, basically. There was, there was no comment, no response, or no thank you. We don't want to get involved. Um, Nike specifically was actually, I think it was in 2009, if I remember correctly. Uh, there was an article in the newspaper published about them where East African Muslim community contacted Nike to ask them, could you please make you know, athletic wear for our daughters. For, and, and, and I remember distinctly their response was they, they declined because they were too afraid to get into that market. They were too afraid of Muslims. They were too afraid of the Muslim community, apparently. And so it's, it's really what, a, you know, what an about face they've made when they launched the Victory Swimwear line this past, uh, last December, because I guess they're not afraid anymore. So what happened? Where, why, where, where did that fear go? So I was really upset in 2009 when Nike was asked. They were, they were, they were approached by another part of the community and they declined because they didn't want to get involved. Um, but, but with Swim Outlet, you know, Swim Outlet's the one that reached out to us actually. It, you know, it's, 
alhamdulillah, you know, praise God. Um, it was Swim Outlet that contacted Splash Gear back in February of 2007 because they had read, I, I guess they'd read the media and, and they were like, you know, we want, we want to sell your, your swimwear uh, at our, and, and I was aware of Swim Outlet. I knew about Swim Outlet because I went to their site, you know, again, long before Splash Gear, I went to their site, I was looking around. Um, so I already knew that they existed and you know, what an honor I thought that, that they, they reached out to Splash Gear in February, 2007 and they've been carrying the line ever since. So we pioneered the modest full coverage category um, uh, on their site. And they have told me, you know, they told me, they said, you know, Shireen, it's, this is a very, very small segment. You know, we, we don't sell a lot of it. This is not their bread and butter, um, but, but they do see a need and, and they do have people purchase but I think it's great. I think that having different people come, can you imagine one place where you can get a bikini, Orthodox Jewish swimwear, Muslim compliant swimwear? Can you imagine one place that could cater to everybody in our society? I think that's awesome. Um, so, so inshallah that will happen. But, but uh, we, I, I feel privileged that, that, that Swim Outlet reached out to us and we've been supplying them since, since 2007. I'm going to have um, Khadija be unmuted for a moment because she's a triathlete. Uh, I would like to hear her perspective really fast. So Khadija, if you don't mind getting on. So she's a triathlete who has tons of experience with this and we will talk about it next weekend. But she brought a really good point that TYR is not interested at all. Uh, so I want to hear her perspective on why and I'll share with you mine as well publicly. It has been so eye-opening listening to you. But just your talking and then mentioning the timeline, it's funny because I started doing triathlons, I think it was 2012, and you talked about the timeline of how things progressed. I was like, she's right, because that happened to me. I've reached out. I, I, when I first started doing triathlons, it was just because I did it in a pair of leggings and um, a dry fit shirt. I, I swam like that. I did the whole race like right. that. And as I started wanting to become more competitive, I was making my kits. Um, and I went to swimoutlet.com. I saw some of your gear. And um, I reached out to different companies about like, hey, hey you know, I want to go faster, but I can't go faster in this. And I, I had actually reached out to uh, Nike. Um, I had reached out to Adidas. They were not interested at all in yeah. making anything for competitive um, uh, swimmers or triathletes at all. So I ended up having to, to make uh, my own kits. I read all the rules related to USA Triathlon and I, I, I made my own kit. And, uh, and it's funny. Uh, people ask me what possessed me at my age to even try to make the U.S. team was, in my mind, if I made that team, they had to make me a kit that was compliant. Right, right, okay. I, I'm on the team. You got to give me a kit just like everybody else. And I made the team. Alhamdulillah. Roka was the sponsor at the time. They made me a kit. They don't sell the kit. They refuse to sell the kit. I, I have, the, there's two of them. Hmm. I have two of them. They're, they're the only ones. I have since partnered with another um, company. They have to be custom, but he does make uh, uh, USAT and um, 
international ITU international triathlon union compliant kits for Muslim mm -hmm. women. So mm -hmm. I understand the struggle in trying to be modest, but figure out what, what really going to work. I have so enjoyed hearing you speak. Oh, good. And just I'm, I'm, the I'm passion in your voice and the thought you put into the, um, to, to the materials and I, I'm, I'm it, glad it was worthwhile. I'm glad it was worthwhile. Yeah. And I'm definitely going to be speak. I have, I actually have an email I'm in the middle of responding to, to you. So I'm Oh, good. Inshallah. I'll look for that. But the <laughs> But coming back to, you know, I'm not an athletic person. So, I mean, I like scuba diving and, and snorkeling. I'm just, I don't do the running and the, the you know, comp competition, but, but I know that there is a desire within our community to want to do that. And especially lifeguards. There's a young sister actually in our community here who, um, because of COVID-19 this year, it got canceled, but she started training. She, she purchased a splash gear suit last summer to start training for lifeguards for mm -hmm. lifeguard training. So, so and inshallah, uh, I hope she makes it, but there is a big interest. There are hijabi girls and hijabi women. We want to be, we want to participate, right? We're, we don't want to be, we don't want to ghettoize ourselves. We don't, we want to participate. We, we want to be out there. And, um, we just want to do it on our own terms. And it's exactly. just funny. Yeah. So, so, so I, I'm glad to see, I'm so happy to see Muslima hijabis accomplishing these things and participating. Um, I had another gal, I had another gal last year come up to our, uh, the booth and she's like, Oh, she, and you know, this was new to her. She purchased a resort uh, pants, a pair of resort pants, but, but, and she said something about being competitive swimming. I was, Oh, I'm, I'm, interested you know she goes no 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 I'm too old now and she wasn't yeah. old she was like in she was maybe 20 but she's like no no it's too late for me now but I, I want to train some you know hopefully the, the new generation so so it's a shame that she didn't get that opportunity for whatever reason uh, but but there, we have to acknowledge there are Muslim hijabis who want to participate who want to compete mm -hmm. uh, they don't want to take off their hijab they want to keep it on and so why not accommodate them what's the harm in that um, I am living proof that you can never be too old, too black, too short, <laughs> too chunky. I am all of that. <laughs> you're an inspiration. And maybe one day I will start uh, following your lead. But uh, you are definitely an inspiration. And, and I hope you continue for a long time to come, inshallah. Thank you. Yeah, I love hearing your story. Thank you so much, Smith. Like, I love all of it as well. And I'm so happy. Uh, Gina asked a question, a great question. Uh, what would you recommend this is for you, uh, Shereen, by the way, what would you recommend ladies if you, if they want, ladies, if they want to wear hijab and modest swimmer for the first time and may be shy about it? And how can we motivate, inspire Muslim ladies to modestly take to the water with confidence? So I'll let you speak for now. I'll also share my perspective. I'm not going to lie to you. I too uh, had my own reservations. I'm like, do I really want to go in public even in my own? you know, swimsuit, like it, it, it's, you know, you have, it, it's the environment. It's the environment that we're in. If it was a welcoming environment in the first place, we wouldn't have an issue, but we know that it's not a welcoming environment. That's the problem. So um, it's, I don't know if I have the best answer and I think Ola would probably be a better person to, to, to respond to that. But what it was for me is it, your, your desire, your desire to want to get in the water has to be much stronger than your uh, feeling of, of um, self-consciousness. Um, you have to want to get into that water badly enough that, that you tell yourself, screw it. I don't care what those people think. Uh, I'm just going to go in because my desire to go into the water to snorkel, my desire to get in the pool and cool down because right now it's over 100 degrees Fahrenheit, um, you know, that desire has to be so much stronger uh, than 
than feeling small and anxious. Um, so sometimes it's just going to have to take time. Uh, I think if a group of women went together, right, if, if you can go with a buddy, if you can go with a friend who's another Muslim hijabi and there's more than one of you, or even if you went with a friend who's not a hijabi, right, or who's not even Muslim, but she's, she's with you and you're together, you know, there's strength in numbers. So that might be a piece of advice I would give other women is, is don't go alone. Take somebody with you. Go with your family. Go with your husband and kids. Uh, and because that'll give you something to focus on. You can focus on the kids in the water. Um, you can focus playing with your friends. So, so it might help. It might, but each person is different and each person knows their limits. But it might help just to go with another friend, other, other hijabi um, Muslim swimmer or, or somebody who's not. Um, but, but that way it'll show other people around. And, and I think today, I think people today are not going to stare at a Muslim woman as much as they did 10, 15, 20 years ago. So actually there, a lot of Muslim women might feel self-conscious, but honestly, people have gotten used to it. Whether they like it or not, doesn't matter. They've gotten used to seeing it. I don't know how it is on the East Coast, Ola, because you, you, you talk about your story, but out here, you know, whether they like it or not, they're used to it. They, they see me walking on the beach with my, they don't even give me a second look. Nobody gives me a second look. Nobody gives anybody a second look anymore. So, so I think the times have changed. Uh, it wasn't like it was 10, 15, 20 years ago. Um, but if there is that self-consciousness, I totally understand that. And we shouldn't just, you know, brush it aside. Uh, flippantly, uh, I would suggest going with, with other people and, and having strength in numbers, inshallah. That's a good answer to how confident, how much you value you want it. I agree 100%. There are very few stairs here and that I get. I shared my story with like the one that lady that bullied me at a swimming yeah. school, but I also had another lady who was like, how do you swim like this? So there are these people that still exist uh, in our society. And then the guys parts, like when I swim at George Mason, for instance, like I've had this competitive swimmers, like, look at me. I'm not sure if they are impressed by my skills or they're like, Oh, she can't swim. Or they're like, she's covered. I'm not sure what, but I've had like few steps as well. Like, yeah, I know I can swim like mashallah. <laughs> but so you have to be really confident in yourself. And that's a huge, huge aspect. And I think it didn't come to me in one day. It took me like years. And like, I, I was like, you know what? I'm done with this. I want to swim. I love it. I don't care anymore about people. And sometimes like the rash guy will slip over and I have the speed underneath it, my back where the color fades away to see through. I'm like, I don't care. Like I'm going to swim anyways. So it just has to be how confident you are. It takes time. The next question is, um, let's see. I have from Yasmin. I hope you're still here, please. She is it's for you sharing because she's also in the same um industry if you were to start all over again would you start with a launching a kickstarter campaign or would you in the beginning fund your own business out of pocket what's your advice or for business building their brand without kickstarter campaign or a launch good and i like that question too yes when you're still here so yeah that's for you miss shireen um yeah, i'm still here oh yeah right. okay welcome sam yeah so she's Thank creating you. products for runners Mm -hmm. So I'm like, hey, you should come to this webinar. So it will help you. So yeah. Um, so I I think what might be best is if you start with taking business courses, and that and I and I'm being serious. I don't think you necessarily have to go to college. There are um, there's there's a uh, an organization called SCORE. S C O R E score. That's, and I got, I got, I definitely got, uh, those are the seminars that I attend even today, even today I'll still attend score. So I started attending back then and I still attend now. And, and there are experts 
and they can help. Um, but you, you kind of need to, if you're not, if you don't have a business background or knowledge to begin with, uh, that's step one is is understanding the mechanics of business the um the, the money aspect um th there's regulatory i don't know where you're located but in california california um i'm not going to complain about regulations regulations save lives uh but california does have a reputation of being a very very highly regulated state so so as a manufacturer i have to have my manufacturing license uh, renewed every single year. I have to do an LLC every single year, a business license every single year. I have um, a business insurance every single year that I renew. So there are business costs involved. And so you, you kind of want to understand just the mechanics of business and entrepreneurship to begin with. But you know, what? it does take a lot of money. I'm going to tell you right now, I don't think Kickstarter campaigns are bad. They didn't, you know, I didn't have them back then. So it was, it was all out of pocket. It was all personal money. Um, now, when it comes to investors, that's another angle you might want to go is, is to get investors, but there are pluses. My, my, my business story is like, don't do investors, Shereen, don't, just keep it private. Um, so privately owned. So, so, but that is another avenue if you want, if you need income and capital, you know, starting capital, there are investors, but you got to be very careful about your relationship with, with investors. That gets tricky, right? So, so there's, you can, you can raise your own money. Now, the thing is, when I started my business, I was doing it for religious reasons. And if I'm going to do it for religious reasons, I'm going to have to cross my T's and dot my I's on the religious stuff. So I've never done um, uh, RIBA. I've never done RIBA-based loans. Uh, so I've really put a lot of strict um, criteria on my business because if, it's, if, it, if I'm making halal, what I, what, if I'm making swimsuits for the Muslim woman, you know, according to the Islamic dress code and it's halal, every aspect of my business has to be halal too. It doesn't make sense to do something not halal. So I had, um, uh, I have a husband who was willing to loan me interest-free money. Um, and so when I needed loans, I would turn to my husband, I would pay him back interest-free. So I stayed away from the banks, but a lot of businesses have to turn to the banks, right? Um, so I think the very first step is understanding the entrepreneur business aspect, the money financial aspect before you even get to design. The design's easy. Finding a factory, you know, it's, it's not that difficult, but I think it's the money issue that is super difficult. You have to raise a lot of money. I was at a trade show. I was at the DEMA trade show for scuba diving with, with a booth for Splash Gear. The booth next to me was a guy who invented a new style of snorkel and patented it and all that stuff. So we were talking. That guy, he's telling me that he has a, an, a, um, an investor. He found an investor to, to, to work with him, but it was one of those, the investor would put a million dollars in if he put a million dollars in. I'm like, a million dollars? He's like, yeah, I have to raise a million dollars for my snorkel to launch my snorkel. Like, that's a lot of money. But that includes the marketing aspect. Who are you going to hire? You have to hire staff. I don't, I started out by myself. And, um, you know, I, I, I've always had contractors, but I've not been able to afford to hire people. So, so you have that, there's a chunk of money that if you want to be successful, you need to think about who do you need to help you with your business? What kind of person do you need a salesperson, a marketing person? What kind of people do you need to surround yourself? With? And you got to pay those people. That's a chunk of money. So, so the design part and the manufacturing part honestly isn't that difficult, but it's, it's the, all the other aspects to make the business successful, to launch and stay launched. So I, I think you should just take some 
business seminars or business courses, get a business background first, um, save your money. Um, you know, it's your decision if you want to take out business loans from the commercial banks, try to get family to invest or friends to invest or others. Uh, but, but there are lots of strict rules about that. Uh, so just, you know, tread carefully, whatever path you take, just understand the rules and regulations and, and see if you are able to, um, if they're feasible, if those, if those channels are feasible for you. You're welcome. You're welcome. Inshallah. I hope it's useful. I think that's all the questions that we have. Um, anyone else? That's it. Okay. You're welcome, Gina. Thank you. So if anyone has any questions, you can find me on uh, social media at Bikr for Akhira, also at gmail.com to email me. And then join our private Facebook community, Purposeful Fitness with Coach Ola. I have workouts and you can like ask any questions as well swimming related um, techniques i can also help you and then we have shireen on social media at splash gear and then her professional email is shireen dot save it i'm saying wrong. Sabit. 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 as a rabbit <laughs> right there you go at splashgearusa.com last but not least since you're attending today thank you so much we have a discount code for akhira until august 29 we have, uh, you can receive 25% off regular price shirts and bottoms. And this now, is splashgearusa.com, splashgearusa.com. Yes. So I'll also be emailing it to you since you registered for this. And then I'll be giving away um, hijab and goggles throughout this coming two weeks. We have giveaways from two brands during this campaign time. Um, and thank you again for attending for Akhira until August 29th. And... I'm going to stop sharing. Actually, I'm going to stop recording the PowerPoint for a second. Thank you for tuning in. If you've enjoyed this episode, make sure to subscribe today and leave a five-star review. You can also screenshot and share this episode with a family or a friend. Be strong. Be fit. Be fit for Akhira. <laughs>